Boom, put boom, 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 I won't do it the right way because we don't want to. <laughs> yeah, we don't. We don't want to get sued. Yeah, we don't have to get paid for the rights to to use that song. Although that that is perfect because it dovetails into the fact that I finally saw uh, Ant Man: Quantum Mania in the last uh, two weeks. How does that dovetail into that? But by the way, it is an actual welcome back to you as well because you weren't here last week. I, I was not here last week. Yeah, uh, it is. It is the oldest graduation of high school month. And the youngest has had track. Like in the last three days, I've had two different choir concerts. I've had symphony concerts. I've had theater productions and track meets. And it May has been out of control. So I'm, I'm very glad that very soon May will be over and the dog days of summer will be here. But the song Welcome Back that we just referenced features in both the opening and closing of Ant-Man Quantum Mint. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. You know, you've, you've got Scott Lang walking on the street and it sort of bookends the entire experience. Uh, and they use that song, which uh, is super fitting. The fact that I finally saw it. I also saw Guardians of the Galaxy. I How was that? I heard out. it's really good. I really enjoyed it. Of the of Honestly, Guardians of the Galaxy is the best Marvel movie that I've seen that wasn't Spider-Man in a long time. Wow. Uh, it, it it just it felt like a like a Marvel movie like they used to. It wasn't. It didn't spend any time trying to connect to the bigger picture or furthering the plot of Phase Five. It was just a really good final end of the trilogy of the the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. It does a great job of like tying up loose ends. It's heartbreaking. It's it's inspiring. It's like you'll laugh, you'll cry. It's better than Cats. Uh, I was very, very impressed, and I'm glad I saw it in the theater. And I hope that more people will go and see it in the theater because movies are flying out of the theater so I fast. I know. Like, I'm lucky I went to Dungeons and Dragons like two weeks ago because it's already out on streaming. Oh my! It's on on Paramount Plus. I've already watched it twice. Oh wow! Well, you know, so, um, I, this week the big mo- the big movie coming out. Uh, is that Fast 10? No, that came that out last out? week. That came out last week. Yeah, this uh, week, it's uh, a Disney remake. Oh, yes, The Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Which, Little Mermaid is my favorite Disney movie anyway. So, And then the fact that they've got Halle Bailey as the lead, as Ariel. This is, this is what I, I've been looking forward to this. I am so excited to see that Disney is diversifying and you know because little girls want to be little mermaids too little black and brown girls want to be little mermaids too so the fact that now they will have this movie is so exciting and i cannot wait i've heard that her performance is incredible um she's an incredible actress anyway and remind me who did you did you say halle berry no halle bailey Halle, Halle Bailey. Okay, Bailey, I was yeah. like, so her I was and her like, sister I know, are I know a you single do a lot, But it's like we don't, we don't need to have like Halle Berry's great, but like it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to have her as the young. No, you know, Halle Bailey. Yeah. Bailey. So Chloe okay. and Haley are actually Beyonce discovered um, sisters, and then they both were on um, Grownish, which is the Blackish spinoff, and Grownish was on okay. Freeform. Um, and they've and... they've re- they've won five or they've been nominated for five Grammys. Mm-hmm. So that's impressive. Bang. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm super looking forward to that. I do want to see um, Guardians of the Galaxy really bad. Of course, I want to see Fast Ten because I love every Fast and Furious movie. Um, I, I like. Is it going to be a problem if I haven't seen the last week? Probably not. Okay, probably I feel like not. it's one of those you can just jump into. It's probably not a lot of you know lore that it's not like lord of the rings so i'm gonna be like wait what's this about a ring no no i think you you can slide on into the seat and you'll be just fine i'm I'm very excited because it's got both uh oh gosh i'm so good at names uh the guy from reacher alan richmond rick yes rick rickman rick 
Richmond. Mm, Richmond. 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 Yes. I did. We did an entire ace on him like a year ago, and I said his name wrong the entire episode. <laughs> so if I ever do meet him, he's allowed to punch me immediately. Which means I don't think die. you want him to punch you though. He's a no, pretty I, good boy. I don't think he would punch. Me. He seems like a really nice guy. He's fun to follow on Instagram. Uh, he's, he's he's very self deprecating. Uh, and then it's also got uh, Brie Larson from Captain Marvel is in it now, too. There's a lot of people in that movie. There's way more than 10 people in that movie. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, at first you'd be like, oh, Fast 10. So there's probably like 10 main characters. No, that's like Fast to the Power of 10 of the number of characters we have going on. So it, it, it's fun. I, I saw the, the the Rock and Jason Statham, the spinoff movie. That was fun. Or was it like Hobbs and Shaw? Hobbs and Shaw. And I always want to say yeah. Calvin and Hobbs, but that's the cartoon. It is. But ironically, I think you could probably do an entire like analysis of is Hobbs and Shaw just an adaptation of Calvin and Hobbs? <laughs> In a way. I'm I'm very big into adaptations lately, as we'll, as we'll find out what when we... Uh, when we get into the A side today. Awesome. Um, well, real quick, I think the only other thing that um, you and I, well, I watched, um, there's a new documentary on Hulu called Dear Mama, and it's about Tupac and his mom, Afeni Shakur. And mm-hmm. it's really, really, really good. Um, and then I think this week is the last episode of Ted Lasso. I think. And I'm really sad about that. I've been waiting because I I, I want to just binge it. I'm going to the lake next week with my folks. And I started watching. We talked about this like back like two months ago. I started watching the first season with them. And so I want to I want to keep watching that with them or see where they're at. And like then maybe we'll all watch the third season together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been holding off because I want to kind of binge it. Uh, but it's really interesting that the pendulum of that whole like binge everything like everything gets released at once is then kind of swung back to releasing it once a week Mm -hmm. and now like marvel and i don't know if they're just they don't think it's going to do well so they're like we'll just release them all at once but like the echo series oh yeah they're releasing it all at once right yeah then now now they're going back to just like ah here's the entire season so it it feels very strange that all of those like that that delivery method keeps switching and it might switch again because if the writers are on strike yeah yeah like everything that's supposed to be recorded and being done now is gonna get gonna get delayed and then of course you know netflix and i wonder how this will impact netflix too because of course now netflix has sent out the emails about password sharing and if you have someone who is on your account but not in your house you um have to pay extra for them like so and i guess i i needed a little bit of an ex- explainer from that because will you have to like opt in yes so like, either if someone is using your account like let's say you are using my account you can now either go ahead and get your own account or i will have to opt in to pay the extra for you and it's eight bucks a month okay so if so basically this is where Adam is coming from. If there are former people in my life that may still have access to my Netflix account that I don't remember if they've ever logged out, I'm going to find out about it. Now. Um, yeah. Well, and they only let you, here's the thing though, like they'll only let you have, if you're a, a premium subscriber, they'll let you do two extra accounts. If you're a standard subscriber, it's only one. Well, it's me and both of my kids and my mom and my youngest is planning to eventually get her own place so then what who do i cut off yeah i, th- I think at this point it's gotta be the kids i guess so yeah i can't cut off my mom you can't you can't cut off mom i mean we're not cutting off one of our most diehard podcast listeners <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna side with mom every time <laughs> well i will put her on yours then <laughs> <laughs> then i gotta well, actually my parents did get their own netflix account a few few years ago because they would get so frustrated because we'd be watching the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And if they were logged in as me, they couldn't figure out what episode oh, I had yeah. recently watched and what mm-hmm. episode they had recently watched. But I am pretty sure that there is somebody out there that is still logged into my Netflix account that is watching stuff on my account that I don't know that they are. 
because I'll, I'll like roll in. Up. Yeah, it'll be like recently watched. I was like, I don't know. I got insomnia, but I'm pretty sure I didn't watch that. <laughs> you didn't watch Gilmore Girls? I was like, no. That's not <laughs> that's not why I named my dog Laura. <laughs> oh man. So we'll see. I was gonna be I think there's gonna be a lot of difficult conversations happening. Because you know, like when you're when you're with somebody and then like you're you're hanging out at a friend's house and like you log in and like you watch a show together and then you don't log out and then you just realize that you've been logged in on their like Xbox for like six years. Right. They might not even be watching it, but you're still logged in. Right. There are a lot of people who think they have Netflix because they don't remember that their friend logged into an account or that their parents logged in or an ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend. Uh, so this is it's going to be some interesting conversations of why don't I have Netflix anymore? Well, and here's the thing. They also say that you'll still be able to use it like if you go on vacation, if you have a vacation home or if you are in a hotel. But my thing is, how will you know whether it's me or somebody else? So yeah, am I going to have to pay for another account? Like, that's silly. It is. And and it's it's not foolproof either because YouTube TV does the same thing. So when I'm when I was traveling, like to visit my folks in Arizona or my brother in Washington or like last year when I was going down to, to Kansas for my grandparents' funerals and things that I would like be on my phone and log in. It would be like, oh, did you move or are you traveling? And I'm like, YouTube TV, like back off, man. Like I'm right. just here for like a day. I was like, I don't have to update you every time I leave town. <laughs> You're not my yeah. probation officer. I wonder how it will, I wonder if it will impact them. I know they've been doing it in other countries. They claim that, you know, they have more subscribers now, but I'm like, well, do you, or are you just saying that because you're like, crap, we're in it now. Yeah. I, I, I think like they may have more subscribers, but their watch numbers are going to go down, but they yeah. never, they don't, they don't use Nielsen. They don't use any tracking system. Like the, the streaming services just basically get to tell us what's a hit mm -hmm. and we trust them because it makes it like, why would you not tell us if it was a hit? But if you're like, Oh, this was the, the most downloaded movie of the year. We're like, okay, we can't actually prove it wasn't. Right. Well, and apparently like they released um, a new film or series Cleopatra and it was like bad, like nobody watched it apparently. So that's fair. There, there are so many, like, do we need another, like, dramedy on royal people? No. Although I do love Queen Charlotte. You shut your face. <laughs> <laughs> we've got, like, the Queen. We've got the Great. We've got, you know, all of these royal, like, you know, stories, bio series. It seems like we're kind of, like, reached critical mass. Maybe we should do some made-up stuff like that, but without writers that's not gonna happen it's okay we got ai ai will write all the scripts now oh boy oh boy i can't lie i have used chat gpt a little bit but i don't want it to like write everything for me no because you everyone has their own voice too and yeah. i feel like unless i could load like every podcast that we had done into chat gpt and say okay listen to every a side and then write an a side that sounds like me it's going to sound fake. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's one of those things where I think that I know that there are already like technology is great about creating a problem that's selling you the solution. Mm -hmm. So I know that there are already companies that are selling software that for teachers and schools to figure out if a kid used chat GPT for the paper. Yeah. Yeah. Is, that was like, um, that was actually one teacher recently like failed his whole class. Because he thought they were all cheating using ChatGPT. I mean, it's dangerous too because you can make assumptions, and sometimes you think somebody you make an assumption. You look at like, oh, this guy is, you know, this seemingly like box of rocks football player, but just because they play football doesn't mean that they can't write a paper well. Or that you assume that they didn't write the paper, and they're like, why does this always happen to me? Because they're actually an excellent writer. Like it's it's hard to make those assumptions. Oh boy, technology. Gotta love it. Do we? I, Not really. I don't think we have to, but I mean, I also don't want the robots to come for me. So, yes, I think we have to love technology. <laughs> I, for one, welcome our robot overlords. 
Hmm. All right. So this week, last week you weren't here. I had um mm-hmm. my buddy Luke from across the pond join. We just did a B side. So that means you get to go first this week. Excellent. So uh, Adam was in absentia last week, which means that I've had two weeks to think about a topic. But because I'm me, uh, I had two different topics that I was thinking about for the last two weeks, and I didn't use either of those. Um, Today, I got a news story about one of the largest Sears department stores in the state of Minnesota, which has been closed for like seven years. The building has finally been sold. It's just this giant department store that has been sitting empty. It's in a you know downtown area right next to the Capitol building, and it's just been sitting doing nothing for like seven years. You know? And I was like, wow, department stores, that's sort of like a thing of bygone eras. And then because my brain does that thing where it's a, it's a out of control train that jumps the track, started thinking about you know, like movies that have department stores in them. And of course, my mind, my brain went to like big, which is you know the, the Tom Hanks classic where he works at the department store, but you know the play does the the piano thing, uh, the, the 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 what is it the uh, plays chopsticks on the walkable piano, mm-hmm. uh, and you know becomes a great success, but really just wants to be a kid again. Uh, and of course, you would have things like uh, Are You Being Served, which is the British comedy that takes place in a department store, uh, very dry, very silly. But the one that popped into my mind, which I thought about doing as an A-side before, came out in 1987. It had a not-as-good sequel that came out in 1991. And the cast is absolutely 1980s royalty in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got Andrew McCarthy from the Brat Pack. You've got uh, Kim Cattrall, who at that point was you know, 10 years for oh, before doing Sex in the City, but had been, you know, in a lot of movies. It was in uh, Big Trouble in Little China as the heroine. Uh, you had uh, Gold Girls Estelle Getty. You had James Spader. You had the sergeant from Police Academy, G.W. Bailey, who was, you know, gone. He was on Major Crimes. He's been on, uh, was the other one. Major Crimes was a spinoff of another police procedural, The Closer, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he played a cop uh, a great cast uh, Meshach Taylor uh, also Love as him. well who would go on to be on Designing Women mm-hmm. and it made me think this is a movie that I remember seeing as a child but I saw it on VHS you know like we recorded it from TV or we rented it from Mr. Movies and I really didn't have any idea how it was perceived in the context of the time and also it always has struck me that this movie, Mannequin, which came out in 1987, has a lot of the same themes as a classic children's story. So first, how was it perceived at the time? Well, I love to go back and find old reviews of movies that you know posted. And one of the best places to go and find those is RogerEbert.com. They have taken all of his old movie reviews, whether they were just in the newspaper or even talked about them on TV and put them onto the website. So if there's a movie that he's reviewed mm-hmm. at any point, you can mm-hmm. find it on the website. And I was a little surprised because this was posted in February on February 13th of 1987. Uh, Roger Ebert's review of Mannequin. First line is says, this movie is a real curiosity. It's dead. What? I don't mean it's bad. A lot of bad movies are fairly throbbing with life. Mannequin is dead. The wake lasts an hour and a half, and then we leave the theater. Wow. So uh, suffice it to say, Roger Ebert was not a huge fan of the movie Mannequin. It was a moderate success. It uh, grossed $43 million in the late 80s. That's a, you know not a blockbuster, but still pretty darn good, uh, especially for a romantic comedy. Yeah. The story of uh, Mannequin, if you've never seen it, is a bit romantic comedy, a bit fantasy, a bit workplace, you know, rage against the greed of the late, you know, mid to late 80s style. Uh, yeah, and, and one reviewer said that it can be viewed as a metaphorical representation 
of the power of art. So the film revolves around uh, Andrew McCarthy's character, uh, Jonathan Switcher, who is an artist that simply cannot get a job. He tries to make everything artistic, no matter what he's doing, and that usually means he's inefficient, and he spends way too much time making it look good instead of just getting it done. Mm -hmm. uh, he wants everything to have beauty, and that means that he's kind of a failure in life, uh, which is not a great thing if you're trying to pay your bills. So Jonathan bounces from job to job, and he is working in a mannequin assembly factory, which is a thing that I do not think exists. Because mannequins are built in parts, and then they're sent to the store, and then you just put them together. I've worked at enough Stop retail stores. Stop overthinking it. I've worked at enough retail stores. They don't come in fully formed. I mean, you got to be like, okay, this looks like an arm. This looks like a leg. Let's put it all together. Uh, Jonathan spends a lot of time trying to make the perfect mannequin and create this, this beauty into life and create this work of art by putting all the different pieces together, and which is something that would just never happen in reality, but nonetheless. Uh, and while he's doing this, he creates a beautiful mannequin who becomes embodied by the spirits of an Egyptian princess. And you know it's the late 80s because Kid Patrol, who is not Egyptian, remotely, uh, is playing the Egyptian princess. Right. Uh, this is another time where representation was severely flawed in the late 80s. Uh, but she has been floating around ever since she was trying to escape an arranged marriage and prayed to the Egyptian gods to help her find her true love that vanished out of the air. And in the eon sense, has been floating around as a muse, inspiring art, looking for her true love. And so... Jonathan, played by Andrew McCarthy, creates this mannequin, and it comes to life, but it only comes to life when he is looking at it. And if anybody else is around, it's just a mannequin, which you can imagine this leads to some awkward you know, situations. Uh, but Jonathan and Emmy, the Egyptian princess muse, work together to create beautiful works of art in the window displays of the Prince and Company department store in downtown Philadelphia. Everything that I just said is not accessible to anyone under 20 because department stores aren't a thing and no one does window displays anymore at <laughs> all. I don't even think we have mannequins like we used to. Uh, so it's a, it doesn't yeah, hold up Kind of in the malls. Yeah, kind of. We kind of do. But like, how often do they have heads? That's true. They don't anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, or if they little... do, they're just completely blank faces. Yeah, they, they look like, you know, they're like not made to look like people. Uh, let alone come to life and, you know, fall in love. So the story is slightly magical. You've got this Egyptian princess that is trapped out of time and floating, looking for her true love. And then you've got a guy just trying to find his career, but also create art. And along comes James Spader as the, the department store manager, who's also the bad guy. And the best part is like James Spader no matter if it is a blacklist or if it's in Age of Ultron or if it's going all the way back to any of the Brat Packs movies, he just feels like a bad guy. Yeah, he like does. He's, he's easy to dislike. Like, he's easy to like, but he's also easy to dislike. He feels like he's got, and I mean, I don't go around punching people in the face, but he's got a very punchable face. <laughs> but you kind of see him and and you don't understand why but your 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 fists kind of ball up a little bit you're like oh, just one time you know but you wouldn't do it but you think about it. uh he plays a great bad guy you've got gw bailey he's basically playing i don't know the twin brother of his police academy character except instead of being the sergeant at the police academy who's a bumbling idiot he's a security guard at a you know a, at the department store so maybe it's just the same person but like in different phases of their life uh, right i i only hope like someday that my, my oldest is is going into the the arts i hope to be able to play the same bumbling character in many of their films i uh, just like the guy in the background that that is my life goal at this point uh, i've moved past just being the guy in law and order who's putting boxes on a truck i want to be like the bumbling old guy uh in if my oldest ever does a romantic comedy, I'll just be like the guy in the coffee shop. He's like, oh, I can't believe I spelled that. This is going to be horrible. And I'll just have a bad accent when I came up. It's going to be great. Uh, that I'm not saying that his career is bad at the very least. I aspire 
to have a career like his where he's always playing some version of a cop, whether it's bumbling on police academy or a security cop at a drugstore or uh, the closer in major crimes, a very functional and competent uh, investigator that is helping solve important mysteries. Uh, but the entire cast is very good. And you've got, uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, Mishak Taylor, who kind of plays the you know, almost the, the sidekick to Jonathan where the, the artistic support and knows it's kind of crazy that this guy's in love with the mannequin, but sees him for the artist that he is and says, I'm just going to not be all that worried that he fell in love with this mannequin because he's an artist. Artists do weird stuff. Uh, plays a great role. Uh, Estelle Getty as the owner of the department store who actually kind of comes in at the last second, spoiler alert, it saves everything because she's been basically spying on everyone through the closed circuit TV, uh, which in hindsight looks kind of creepy that, you know, apartment store managers just like watching everyone on closed circuit TV would be an entirely <laughs> different type of film. Uh, it's a fun romantic comedy. It has some moments of suspense, but very like slapsticky action. Uh, you, it thrives on the performance of the character of the actors who are not given a lot to work but andrew mccarthy and kim Cattrall are both eminently likable and their chemistry is palpable on the screen and it is worthwhile as a fun romantic comic where i take things a little too far is that it's always struck me that mannequin itself and the themes and the ideas where you have this mannequin who desperately wants to be alive and this creator that that wants to keep them safe and these you know other characters and then the bad guys that are trying to control the you know puppet in this case or the mannequin uh marionette if you will i've always felt that, that there was a very clear adaptation of pinocchio in the mannequin where it's mm. the same story about trying to become a real person trying to grow dealing with society that doesn't want to accept you for who you are. And I never got to write that paper because I didn't do enough film classes. And also, I, I don't think that if I did it as a tech, tech talk, anyone would actually show up to it. Uh, <laughs> but there are very similar themes and, and motifs that are consistent between the two. Uh, you know, in Pinocchio's case, the, the blue fairy grants him life and, and guides him along his path of self-discovery. In Mannequin, the Emmy, the Egyptian princess, magically comes to life and then encounters Jonathan, who then helps guide her along their path of self-discovery. And In a way, it's his path of self-discovery as well. So the metaphor and adaptation is not perfect, but I've always, even as a little kid, I remember thinking that Mannequin and Pinocchio had a lot of the same things. And so now I want to go and rewatch it again with Pinocchio in mind and see if there is a way for, you know, a clear and obvious thematic uh, theme going. Thematic theme, that's not it. That's doubling. Thematic theme. A clear and obvious connection between <laughs> the two. Because it's always felt like it was a real thing. Uh, and I've haven't found anyone else online, which is amazing, uh, because you would like there are no original thoughts anymore. So you would think that if somebody else on Earth was going to watch this movie, that and it was a real thing, someone else would have already thought it. So that makes me a little uh, uncomfortable that maybe I'm, I'm I'm reaching a bit too far. But if you want to watch Mannequin, uh, the original, I would not suggest the 1991 version, the 87, you know, the the original, not the sequel, the original still exists within that late 80s cultural moment. The second one, by the time we're in the 90s, the cultural you know, ideas and, and pop culture feel has changed, and it just doesn't have the same innocence and wonder. And it feels a little bit ham-handed because it's also a sequel. But if you want to see the original Mannequin, it is available if you subscribe to max which is formerly hbo max which before it was hbo go right so uh in the last five years hbo has changed their name of their streaming service three times uh which might be a record uh also on direct tv uh and if you have like prime video you can get it on cinemax as well uh, you can also buy it on voodoo or on microsoft as well it's not super easy to find 
But if you've got Max, go check out Mannequin Today and let me know if you think it is a modern-day retelling of Pinocchio or if I have just spent too much time staring at wooden faces. I am going to say I think you've spent too much time, but that's just me. That's fair. And that's an acceptable acceptable moment. Uh, One of the greatest scenes in the entire movie also doesn't make sense because uh, Jonathan takes Emmy out on his motorcycle. So you've got a grown man with a mannequin riding behind him on the motorcycle. And she comes to life to talk to him. But then when they see people that they know, she turns back into a mannequin. But when they see strangers, she doesn't turn back into a mannequin all the time. Uh, so it's a little weird. Like, you're out in public. If you're being looked at. Not being you consistent. Think that you're not being consistent with, with the uh, the lore here. But that's okay. Uh, that's something that probably only bothers someone who overthinks things as much as I do. So uh, <laughs> today's A-side is the mannequin. It is as fun as you remember. And if you've never seen it, give it a try. And tell me if you think it is just a retelling of Pinocchio in a slightly different way. All right. So that's the A-side. That is the A-side. Last week, Adam, I'm not sure if you caught it or not. It was a very, very interesting. It, a, a book pretty much solved the case. Ooh, that's this, exciting. People like books. Yeah, yeah. You'll have to go back and, and check it out. It's a, a, a wild story that's still developing. Wild, um, wild and crazy stuff. This week, it wasn't a book that solved it. It was more like a, it was like like a puzzle putting together what happened in this crime. Hmm. So if you like puzzles, this is a, this is the one for you. Yeah, this is very like that summer of COVID when everyone just was like doing puzzles and learning to cross stitch and bake uh-huh. bread. That's that's singing, that's like, what this that's what this side is this week. Sea shanty songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this week we're talking about the body in room three forty eight. Greg Flanagan was born December twenty sixth of nineteen fifty four, and as a young man, apparently just like he was when he was older, he was a really good guy. Everybody seemed to love him. He worked um, as a a chief engineer. Uh, he spent months and months at sea. And then later in life, he had a reinvention. Sometimes people do that, you know, uh, it's like, oh, you know what? I think I want a career change. So he reinvented himself as a landman, which is a very familiar occupation in South Texas. I had no idea what it was, so I had to look it up. I was going to say, I feel like I'm a landman because I don't fly or go to the sea. So it's not quite that. It's an occupation in oil, gas, and mineral or other energy source exploration. A landman interacts with and negotiates directly with landowners to acquire leases for exploration and development of minerals or other energy sources. So like, I guess he's the person that deals with like, if you own land and you've got oil, he's going to come to you and try to get some like deal where they can explore your land or something that's that's kind of what i took it as I, it's still a thing that happens today like there i because i talk to everyone uh there's a, a regular at one of the establishments that i go to around here who he works in mines but he's an inspector for like safety mm-hmm. but he's constantly going to places that are you know private property but that have then rented the land underneath for mining or drilling or something and and so it's, it's it feels like it's an old school thing but it's definitely still happening it's today. still happening quite a bit yeah so greg every monday morning he would make a two-hour drive from lafayette louisiana um in his pickup and he would head west on interstate 10 through the gulf shore and he would head on over to beaumont texas it took him a few you know it took him a few hours to get over there and of course as he's going you know imagine all the things that he's passing on interstate 12 you know uh oil rigs and billboards and motel chains and restaurants adult superstores you know all of that that he's passing as he's driving his company rented him a room in the cabana which was a three-story wing that wrapped around a small a small swimming pool that had palm trees planted around it i don't know why i can't talk today Um, i mean small swimming pool is that's that's hard to say fast (laughs) wrapped around a small swimming pool this cabana was at the elegante hotel again in beaumont texas this night it happened to be a wednesday night greg is watching a movie he gets an email from his wife Susie, 
It was a little bit after seven o'clock and Susie's using a computer program to file taxes or she's trying to file for a tax extension. After she reports, she tells Greg, you know, how she's doing. He writes her an email back and he says, you're doing good, babe. Greg is used to traveling light because he's on the road quite a bit. Um, he would actually, he'd like leave his suitcase open on the floor and he'd use it as a drawer, dirty clothes go on the closet floor. You know, he hangs his shirts up. He, he's got this down to a T. Toiletries yeah. are in the pockets of like clothes that he's folded. It's just, he's got his routine because this is his thing all the time. I mean, who among us doesn't occasionally do laundry and then live out of that laundry basket instead of folding stuff? Seriously, right? I and mean, we've all done it at one time. <laughs> Greg, as he travels, he's not like, he's not hitting the bars. He's not trying to go out and flirt. He is a very happily married man. He goes, he does his business. And when he gets back to his room, he doesn't leave it. He usually cranks up the air conditioner because he likes it cool. He'll sit on the bed. He'll lean back against two pillows that are propped against the headboard. And because he's a good guy and he's trying to be considerate, he'll get a clean towel from, you know, the room and he'll lay it out on the bed and he'll put his ashtray and his cigarette lighter and his Blackberry. Now this is 2010. So smoking in rooms was still a thing. Um, and there's still some places in the country where it's okay. That's true. And this is Texas. So yeah. he'll, he'll lay out all his things and he'll get the TV remote and a candy bar. So he'll smoke. And he'll eat his candy bar while he's watching a movie. Well, again, this was a Wednesday night. It's September 15th. He's in his room, room 348 at the MCM Elegante in Beaumont, Texas. He's lounging back against the pillows that are up against the headboard. He's got his cigarette in his hand and he's got his Reese's Crispy Crunchy Bar. He's got a root beer and he's watching Iron Man 2. This this dude, I, I can feel him on the Reese's Crispy Crunchy Bar and the root beer, okay? And Iron Man 2. I was gonna, and Iron Man 2. It's underrated. Right, I mean, right. Mickey, Mickey Rourke carries the move. <laughs> At some point during this Iron Man 2, of course, you know, it's action, it's loud, there's explosions and everything like that. At the end of the film, Greg, out of nowhere... He's just sitting there, chilling, lounging, eating his candy bar, smoking a cigarette, watching his movie. And he's struck from nowhere with a very real and just gut-wrenching blow. It's so violent that typically it would blind a man in pain. He manages somehow with this blow from nowhere to get off the bed. He walks towards the door and he falls he just falls over face first. Probably before he even hit the carpet in this hotel room, Greg was probably dead. Did he get shot? Well, we don't know yet. Okay, don't ruin it. Don't make <laughs> Greg and Susie talk every single morning. The next morning, Greg doesn't call. So Susie calls Greg's office because it's not like him to call. Well, he's not at the office. He's not answering his phone. He doesn't show up to work. So then two of his co-workers drive over to the hotel and they knock on the door because he's not answering Susie. He's not showing up to work. He's not answering phone calls. And this is this is not like him at all. Very out of character. Very out of character. They go over there. They know exactly what room he's in, 348. They get no answer. So they go down to the hotel manager and they're like, hey, look, this is so uncharacteristic of him. We need to check the room. Hmm. So it's, it's set alarm bells off for everybody. So the hotel manager calls the police and a lot of times uh, first responders show up as well. Mm -hmm. So they go up to the room and they find a middle-aged man dead on the floor, prone, doubled over, cigarette in his between his two fingers on his left hand. The room is warm. It's, it's exceptionally warm and his skin has gone grayish blue. There is a wet spot on the front of his pajama pants. So about an hour later, Detective Scott Apple shows up. He's a uh, Detective Apple. He's, I mean, he's your cop's cop. He was at one time the assault team leader on the department SWAT team. You know, his wife's a cop. They met on the job. I mean, like he's the cop's cop. He just never stops working. But when he shows up to him, it's like, okay, 
what is this? Why, why am I even here? Because there's no sign of a break-in. There's no sign of a struggle. Nothing in the room's been disturbed. There's no obvious blood or, or wounds. His wallet still in the back pocket of his jeans with $1,000 in it. So it couldn't have been a robbery. Bang! $1,000. That's, that's got to be uncomfortable to sit on. Right? <laughs> so the people in the room that were nearby, they didn't hear anything. Like the, the detective is questioning like the hotel room neighbors and you know, nobody heard anything. So he's like, this has to be a natural cause thing. Why am I even here? Like, I'm trying yeah. to be a cop, you know? Yeah, I got I got cop six. Right. Donuts and solve crime. <laughs> right. So, of course, he, you know, snoops around a little bit. He looks in Greg's bags. He's mostly looking for, you know, pills. Maybe that's what caused Greg to collapse. There's no pills. Um, He ends up later talking to Susie, again, Greg's wife, and Michael, mm -hmm who is Greg's brother and and also Greg's business partner in his land company, which is called OGM Land Company. Also, I should mention that Greg and Susie, on the weekends, they run a bed and breakfast. Okay. Anyway, oh. Detective Apple talks to Susie and Michael. Again, Michael is Greg's brother and also his business partner. And they're like, look, you know, it probably was natural causes. Greg never went to the doctor. Uh, he smoked. He drank. He wasn't you know, particularly fond of like the whole fitness trend. He, he didn't I exercise. Mean, dinner was a recess bar. <laughs> right. You know, he chain smoked. He had a nagging cough. He drank. He, he ate not to excess, but you know, it's like, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do things on my terms. So of course it was pretty obvious to everybody. Oh, he probably died from natural causes. Sad. Not great, but right. you know, Sounds like he lived a happy life. He he had he you know he had a very loving wife and he had a job that he loved. He was making good money. Yeah. You know, worked with his brother. So Susie said, you know, he would sometimes hear stories of people who had like gone on their own terms. You know, sudden death, and he'd be like, "Man, lucky bastard! That's how I want to go." Yes. So it yeah, looks that's like something that that drags on. Right. So it looks like that's what happened for Greg, yeah. or is it? Guessing not. This is the B side. <laughs> unless so, in my in, unless in my absence, the B side became about natural ways to die. <laughs> Reese's bars. No. Um. <laughs> so as this procedure, you know, at during a death, the photographer comes in and snaps photos of a crime scene, puts it on record. The body is then transported to the Jefferson County Medical Examiner for an autopsy. So Dr. Tommy Brown is the medical examiner in Jefferson County, and it took him about 45 minutes to do his postmortem exam. He, he does a thorough inspection inside and out. He measures the organs. He, he weighs them. He describes any and everything that he has found, and it's all on the official form. Initially, again, Greg's cause of death, death was um, thought to be natural cause is pretty unremarkable 55 year old guy who's in you know decent shape but after dr tommy brown's examination dr brown finds on the body a one inch abrasion on his left cheek where his face hit the rug and he found a half an inch laceration in his scrotum the scrotum itself was swollen and discolored and around the wound there was some fluid there was also some bruising that had gone from the groin and spread up across the right hip. So it looked as if something had really hit Greg hard. Then Dr. Brown opens up the front torso of Greg and he is surprised by the amount of blood that he finds. And there is extensive damage to his internal organs. Yikes. There's also some partially digested food that had been in his intestines that was no longer in his intestines because of the damage caused to his body his internal organs of course the doctor found a small laceration on the um, intestines on the stomach and the liver greg also had two broken ribs and a hole in the right atrium of his heart good grief so it looks as if he's been beaten to death or crushed so Dr. Brown concludes that the wound to his scrotum has likely been caused by like a hard kick. It had to be something so severe though that it would cause all this other internal damage. So maybe a kick to the scrotum and then somebody had beat him with something. Ooh. This the, the damage was so severe 
that Dr. Brown is saying that he would have bled out in less than 30 seconds. So it's looking, it's, it's not looking like natural causes after all, but now the manner of death has been ruled officially as a homicide blunt force trauma. So Dr. Brown calls detective Scott Apple and he tells him, okay, so our guy in room 348, he's got, he had some massive internal injuries. This is the kind of stuff you see in crash victims or someone who's had something fall, something heavy fall on them. So now detective Apple is intrigued because now he gets to do the cop copity cop thing. And he's like, wait a second. Now I understand why I'm here. Right. And this is almost, this is also Beaumont, Texas. There's not a whole lot of murders like this one now, because it has been ruled a homicide would be the 10th one of the year. Wow. So over the next couple of weeks, couple of months, Detective Apple, he's chasing down every lead, every angle that he can. And he's just coming up empty handed. He cannot figure out what happened to Greg Plenikin. About six months in, he's just stuck. It looks like it could end up going to a cold case. The evidence isn't adding up. You know, if he had been beaten somewhere else and his body had been taken back to the room and put on the rug, well, then where's the evidence that he'd been dragged into the room also remember um he's got the cigarette in his hand and it, it how how would he have been um how how would nobody hear anything like what is going on yeah how do, how do these injuries happen when it looks like nothing happened right so and then other than the bruising and the cut on his scrotum there's no signs of like beating like there would have to be some kind of sign. There was nothing knocked over in the room. I mean, just, it's not adding up. So Greg, um, also Greg had no enemies. Detective Apple talks to Susie a lot. So the two of them had gotten together when they were younger, when she was in her twenties, she was a singer in a rock band when they met oh. and she adored him. And, um, Detective Apple described her as a delightfully offbeat Southern belle. She says that Greg was the nicest man she had ever met. She said he was so nice that she married him twice. First when they Aww. were kids and then they parted ways for a number of years. And then when they both were in their, you know, later in life, um, Susie called him again and he said, I've been waiting for you to call. And the second time they'd been married for 15 years, no children, just the two of them. <laughs> his brother and his coworkers said he was like universally liked, like there was no, there's no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, there's no motive, motive. there's no yeah. motive, there's no suspects, that's the word I'm looking at, there's no suspects, yeah. because everybody liked this guy, he was a good guy, he's not off screwing around, he's not, you know, he's in his room watching a movie. He doesn't have like a second family in Beaumont that he didn't tell anybody about. Exactly, he went to his room, he stayed there until morning, he was never even seen at the bar, he didn't flirt, he didn't even like go to the bar every once in a while and flirt, it was, I'm going to work, I'm going to my room, I love my wife. Amazing. I like Reese's and Marvel movies. <laughs> right. So all through the fall and into the winter of uh, 2010, Detective Apple is pursuing a number of possibilities. Here's what happened on the night of Greg's passing. Mm -hmm. Maintenance records show that at some point in the evening, Greg's cooking some prepackaged popcorn in the microwave and accidentally he blows out a circuit. Okay. So the outage had affected not just his room, but the room next door, 349, and then the rooms directly underneath. So Greg calls the front desk to report the outage. And he says, I'm sorry, I was just, I was trying to make some popcorn. And maintenance goes up and resets the breaker. Happens to the best of us. Nothing wrong with making microwave popcorn. Right. It's delicious. I've got some on the counter that I'm ready to make right now. I had some for lunch. So, so this brings Detective Apple to two different theories. He's like, okay. Number one, maybe it involves sex. So the Elegante maintenance man had a rap sheet. He was a sex offender. Okay, well, maybe the puncture wound to the scrotum and the internal injuries had been caused by some sort of like long screwdriver. He's thinking in some side of like some sort of like kinky assault. Detective Apple, of course, interrogates. Well, I guess I shouldn't say interrogate. Questions the maintenance yeah. man. He looks into his background, but beyond a theory just a wild suspicion he's never able to prove anything 
The second theory involves a group of union workers, a union electricians that had been staying at the Elegante. And there was a couple of them that had been in the room right next door in 349 on the, the night that Greg passed away. They were actually in town for an extended stay because they were doing a job for an oil company. And at night, I guess they all like they would go, they would swap rooms. Like one night we're going to hang out in your room. Next night we're going to hang out in your room. And that night happened to be room 349's turn. Okay. They're thinking, okay, so this is Detective Apple's thinking. Okay, maybe, just maybe when the power goes out, they've been drinking, they get pissed off, they go next door and they confront Greg because they're annoyed. They exchange words. They assault him in the hallway and then drag him back into the room. So of course they're questioned but there's nothing about the interaction with these union electricians that lead them to believe that they had any kind of direct interaction with greg in room 348 nine days after greg's death detective A detective apple and another colleague go back to room 348 and they question the union electricians again detective apple's wearing a hidden video camera and they're Ooh, like, speaking. yeah. So one of the guys, Lance Mueller, he's like, hey, what happened to the guy anyway? And uh, Detective Apple's like, hell, I don't know. That's what I'm trying to find out. It's almost like something fell on him something. We're just trying to find, we're just trying to see if somebody heard something or maybe if somebody knows somebody heard something or maybe somebody messed with him. Lance Mueller, uh, Mueller, excuse me, who had been staying in that room, who's that's who the room was registered to, and mm -hmm. another buddy, Tim Steinmetz, his roommate they were like no we have nothing we don't know we didn't hear anything they said they thought they might have heard the guy in the room next door coughing when they came back from the bar like late at night but other than that they're like sorry I, we haven't heard anything and then you know it's like well if something fell on them there's they're like saying there's nothing really heavy in the rooms yeah like you would have you would have there would have been something evidence of that there would have been like ceiling tiles or yeah something but there's nothing out of place so down the hall there's a few more electricians trent pisano thomas elkins and scott hamilton they were also really friendly and trying to be helpful one of them said that uh, when they had seen the body coming out of the room and going onto the gurney into the elevator at first they assumed that caterers were delivering like a big food tray or or a cake okay none of them have seen anything so detective apple is truly at a loss so just for you know um safety or, or precautions the detective takes all of their driver's licenses and all their cell phone numbers and they let detective apple know that they're going to be in a few in town for a few more days if, if they need any if, if he needs anything hmm. stumped 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 so detective apple is like is it Susie? He's like, there's nothing that leads to that. Is it the brother? No, there's no evidence to suggest that. Is it these union electricians? There's nothing to support that either. So now we're in a state where we might go cold. In November of 2010, the Flanagan family offers a reward, a reward of $50,000. Still no leads. Then Michael hires a private investigator who happened to be a former FBI agent. Um, he and Detective Apple discuss the case, and then the PI, the, the private detective, pieces out. No one ever sees or hears from him again. Hmm. Funny, but that's funny, strange. That's right. Funny, huh? It's just, I guess maybe it was overwhelming to him, and it was like, I don't know. I I don't know what to tell you. So Susie, life stuff going on. Yet. Maybe. So Susie decides. Okay, this there's. He didn't die of natural causes. Something happened. I need to know what's going what happened to my husband. So she enlists the help of former detective Ken Brennan, who was a former Long Island police department police officer and a DEA agent who was now a private detective in Florida. Susie yes. had actually heard about the former detective from a young lawyer friend named Kia Sherman. Kia was also discussing with Susie uh, about filing a lawsuit against the hotel as a way to further probe the death to get like more information because then yeah. the hotel would have to release all these all these um documents and things right so maybe we can find like we don't really think the hotel did it but it's a way to get more information because now yeah. it's a legal case exactly yeah. so kia had actually been inspired 
about uh, former detective Brennan because she'd read a Vanity Fair article by my by Mark Bowden called The Case of the Vanishing Blonde from December of 2010. The article discussed Detective Brennan's success in resolving a 2005 cold case in Miami. So she calls Detective Brennan, explains the situation. He's got a lot of cases, but this one intrigues him. He goes to Lafayette in April of 2011. First, he questions Susie, because remember, a lot of times it is the spouse. Even if the mm -hmm. spouse is saying, please help me, that could be them just trying to throw you off the trail. So exactly. he he questions Susie, and he asks about her relationship with him, her faithfulness, insurance money, and everything rules out. Um, one thing about his questioning with Susie that stuck with him, though, was the temperature of Greg's room being so warm. She said, you know, when she's discussing his routine, how cold he liked it. Mm -hmm. former detective brennan and detective apple go back again to room 348 and they're looking at the crime scene photos and autopsy results and after looking through everything thoroughly brennan has an idea of what happened to greg he says i think i know how this guy died i think i know when he died i think i know who killed him and i think we're gonna catch them dang yeah so first he recalls the room being warm and he figures that the air conditioning must have shut off when the circuit blew. So because of that, they knew what time about it happened because the hotel records show that the repairman left Greg's room about 830 and he's alive and well. Mm -hmm. So they figure he figures that Greg restarts his movie, but forgets to turn the AC back on. And it would take a few minutes for him to feel the effects of the AC not being on and the room getting warm. And he was dead before the room even started to get warm before he could notice. Right. It had to have happened that fast. So, so it gives us a window. It gives us a window. So since there was a cigarette in his hand, he couldn't have been beaten and his body moved because there wouldn't still be a cigarette in his hand. Right. Which meant right. it happened in the room. The fact that he'd been in the room at the time of his death led Detective Brennan to the electricians. But how did they confront Greg while they were drunk and upset over the blackout? What happened? So mm -hmm. Brennan asked Detective Apple, let's interview the men who work with these electricians and see if they have anything. Maybe they've heard something. Maybe somebody slipped up. So they... Everybody is pretty much saying the same stories, but one person says something about a gun going off in a boarding house, which Detective Apple is like, no, you've got the wrong case. That's something different. But Detective Brennan puts that in the back of his head and he tells mm -hmm. Detective Apple, uh -uh, let's go back to this room. Something's not adding up. They go back to the room and they find an indentation in the wall alongside the closed door that led to the adjoining room the indentation was a repair job someone had tried to fix a hole in the wall it didn't line up with the doorknob because he opened the door closed you know put it up against the wall so it wasn't something that was caused by the doorknob so they decide okay we got to look at this adjoining room so they go get the keys they look at the adjoining room guess what they find on the other side of the wall there's a hole that's been patched and it looks like it's been patched with toothpaste, toothpaste. So, you know, it's not a professional job. This wasn't like no. the maintenance man came in and did this. Yeah, I don't think toothpaste is usually a uh, a hole pasting. <laughs> no. Cool. So they measure the hole height in room 349. Then they compare it to the hole height in room 348. They line up perfectly. This hole was caused by a bullet. It went in through 349 and out through 348. So, of course, crime scene investigators are called in and they excavate both the holes and then they put a laser through the hole and the path lines up perfectly where Greg would have been sitting on his bed, lounging, smoking his cigarette, eating his candy, watching his movie. So Detective Brennan has a theory that the bullet entered Greg's body through his scrotum and then went up into his body through his organs. But now they have to talk to the medical examiner because to be able to even try to arrest somebody, they've got to have the autopsy results changed from blunt force trauma to gunshot wound. And also, where did the bullet go? 
Right. So they go, they go, they, they go and they talk to the Emmy. They go over the autopsy photos. At first, the Emmy is like, no, 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 no. This was a kick. This, he was beaten. And, and then Detective Brennan is like, no, look, there's a hole here. There's a hole in the heart. That's a bullet wound. And then the Emmy is like, damn, you're right. It's a bullet wound. So they end up changing. Oh, that's got to be embarrassing for the yeah. Emmy to have, yeah. to have the random police officer. Yes. So they end up changing the cause of death to gunshot wound. Now, typically in a case like this, they might try to do like an exhumation or something, but Greg had been cremated, so that wasn't possible. Yeah. I mean, you can you can exhume him. It's just not going to do you any good. <laughs> well, it's just going to be ashes. So detectives traveled to Wisconsin where these union electricians lived, and they interviewed <laughs> Tim Steinmetz. This is seven months after they left the, the Beaumont. Now, remember, they had stayed there for an extended time because they were on the job. Still working, yeah. So they asked him to come to the Chippewa County Sheriff's Department in Wisconsin, which he does. And, you know, they're they're talking to Tim. They're asking him what happens. He gives this story, the same story he gave before. He even signs, like, an affidavit. And that's when they're like, okay, now you're in trouble because you've signed this legal document and you've lied. What happened? Mm -hmm. Tim breaks down and confesses to what happened this is a story that's later corroborated by another one of those union electricians trent uh pisano and this is on june 1st of 2011 so apparently they've been in the room drinking beer when lance mueller asked trent to go get a bottle of whiskey from his car he says hey also bring in that nine millimeter nine millimeter ruger pistol so trent comes um uh, Trent comes back to the room and Lance starts messing around with the gun and it's making everybody uncomfortable. First, Lance uh, points it at Tim, who like falls to the floor and he's like cursing Lance out, like, don't point that thing at me. Next, Lance points it at Trent and it goes off. Trent immediately oh, thinks he's been hit, but then he sees a hole in the wall behind him. Lance freaks out. He bundles up the gun. He hurries and takes it back to his car, which is seen on hotel surveillance video. Tim uh, uh, Lance goes to his car and puts something in his trunk. We can't see what it is. Right. Bundled up. Could just be a jacket. Who knows? Right. So when Lance gets back to the room, Trent is out. He's like, he's pieced out. He's pissed off. He's gone to his own room. So Lance and Tim go down to the bar. So police have Tim call Lance and they record the conversation of them discussing how they're going to have these stories. And then Tim is like, hey, look, they got me to tell the truth. And Lance is like, crap. And they also talk about Greg's real cause of death. So, of course, Lance is arrested and he is tried. On October 29th of 2012, uh, it's Lance's sentencing. And he enters a no contest plea to manslaughter. He's sentenced to 10, uh, 10 years, which is half of what was allowed by law. Susie gave a statement and she said, I waited over two years uh, to look you in the face, eye to eye and simply have the chance to speak to you directly, you would have never come forward with the truth. You murdered him. Now, mind you, he had all these this time to come forward. He saw a body being um, carried out of the room. He knew he shot a bullet into this room. He covered up the hole. Covered up the hole. He wrapped up the gun and passed it off. Like he had many, many opportunities to come forward and did not. So Susie said, you murdered him. And with every lie you told, with every intentional self-deception, with every cover-up over and over again, you saw his body taken out of the room in a body bag the next day. You killed him. He meant nothing to you. You have uh, met your match. I would have spent the rest of my life tracking you down. And I found you, Greg's murderer. I have brought you to justice. Now that's the woman right there. Yeah. Lucky that He's probably lucky he only got 10 years. But I think if she'd have found him, it would have been a lot shorter sentence. Uh, yeah, yeah. So remember Susie was going to file that lawsuit against the hotel to get information? Well, after Lance's sentencing and reviewing security footage provided by the hotel, she decided to go ahead and move forward with the lawsuit. The suit said that the Delta security firm who was providing security for the hotel failed to provide adequate security. She also um, named the... Uh, union electricians in the suit as well. She sued for punitive damages, wrongful death, and survivor damages. 
The trial was set to start April 13th of 2015, but Susie ended up filing a motion to dismiss on April 1st of that year, stating that she had resolved her claims against Trent Pisano, and that settlement led to the trial itself being canceled. It was dismissed with prejudice, which means it's dismissed permanently and it cannot be brought about again. Right. That is the wild, crazy, outrageous story of Greg Flanagan's death, the body in room 348. It definitely felt like one of those, you know, like puzzle, like almost like a puzzle room thing or mm-hmm. or like, like a riddle that someone would tell you, like this man... Is dad, how did he die? Like, you have to figure it out. I can't believe, I mean, I guess I can't. The fact that they didn't, like, look for bullet holes earlier? Well, and it had been patched up, so maybe it was just it, it was just an easy miss because it wasn't something that they were immediately looking for. Yeah, and I still wonder where the bullet went because you think the still bullet went him. somewhere. Oh, they it did find it. No, it w- they they have to assume because they never found it that it was still in him. But again, he was oh, cremated. He was cremated. Yeah. So I uh, I think they probably should have sued that medical examiner. And I think probably what happened is like I don't know. I don't have one, but you know, there's a hole and it looks like a a puncture wound and maybe some of the skin folded. You know, yeah. and it, I don't know. And, pe- and don't people and people see what they want to see. You know, like if you think it's one thing, you're not going to be looking for something else. But right. you just, you'd just you hope that a medical examiner is not just looking for things that support his assumption, but was looking for the facts. Yeah. I mean, and as a unbiased observer, I wonder if the, the true villain here is that medical examiner who just didn't do his job very well. Well, I'm going to say the true villain is Lance Mueller, who was playing with a loaded yeah, gun. Yeah, 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 that's a good point. Maybe true villain is not the word, but a, is a he at fault? Guilty, absolutely, a, a fault, a party that that bears some some fault. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But there you go. That is the B side. That was, that was a, that was a fun B side. I Thanks. I was trying to figure it out the whole time, <laughs> uh, and then I I love how like I almost ruined it at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> hey, hey, Adam. Don't jump to conclusions. <laughs> oh my gosh. <clears throat> but there you go. So that's episode 136. Uh, and if you want to hear any of our other episodes, you can go to our website, A-side, B-side, podcast.square.site. All 136 episodes are on there. We also post links to all of our sources. Uh, there are fun old pictures of us. Uh, you could buy merchandise if you want to get, you know, a pet shirt. Uh, I really feel like the punchline or the tagline we haven't used as much lately, but still still holds very true is bad vibes save lives. Uh, and unfortunately for this gentleman, he didn't even get I'm to have any it. bad vibes. I'm wearing my right now. My I got a sweatshirt that says I'm, bad vibes saves lives. I'm definitely getting one and sending it with the oldest to college to just, just wear around when they're, they're off at university. This is a constant reminder that uh, to let their friends know that dad has a podcast, but also to be safe. Yes, one hundred percent. But you can check out all the merchandise on there. Uh, you can find us on all of the streaming sites. Like, share. Uh, the best thing that you could do to help the podcast is to tell other people about it through your social media accounts, or just randomly grab someone on the street and say, "Have you listened to this podcast?" Uh, and then they might listen as well. So I'm here for that. Uh, thank you for yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I I love to just have people randomly accosted with podcast information. Uh, <laughs> People are really open to that, I found. <laughs> uh, and uh, we look forward to another episode next week. I will be live from the lake, so I will be probably in a much better mood. And uh, we'll see uh, what kind of death, dismemberment, and crime, and also random movie that you have to pay to watch that Adam can find. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Brooke.